0: I pray that my thoughts on the passage today resonate with some of you and hopefully are of some use, and I pray that what I say is in line with with God's word and God's message. I should say that what I'm going to do today is to talk about various historical facts from very long ago, so from Old Testament times. Um, And facts from those times are really quite hard to get precise and exact. So there's not a clear, definitive answer to some of the things I'm going to say. But hopefully the overall message will be clear, and you'll gather what I'm trying to understand. If you wish to talk more with me afterwards, um, then I'd be happy to talk to you, although my knowledge is precisely what's contained in this service. So... well, it's a, it is a pleasure to be here speaking again. Um, but as Beth might have intimated, it's pleasure's the wrong word. I mean, because how can anyone take pleasure when talking about such things? How can anyone take pleasure talking about a passage containing destruction of so many people? And it's all I feel really is a chill and a sadness. And when Beth asked what we felt, I confess to my shame a certain numbness when I saw this image because it's an image I've seen many times before in different guises, and I felt that I ought to feel more strongly for these people, but I confess that it's difficult to do so, particularly when we're bombarded with images from all over the world so frequently, it's easy to feel helpless, it's easy to feel where is God in this? Hopefully today we're going to be able to answer the question of, Lord God and our Saviour, where are you in this destruction? And what are we to make of this seemingly endless, unstoppable story of evil and disaster? Well, the passage today uh, concerns the destruction of whole cities, ruination of fortified settlements and elimination of palaces of the ruthless. And these images of great destruction are some of the grand events of history itself, events which saw the end of empires and the birth of new kings, both good and bad. Perhaps we seem today almost too small to matter in comparison with the magnitude of these grand events. But we will go on to the second half of the Isaiah reading, which will be there to reassure us that God actually will be there to shield us and protect us and comfort us. And clearly, if we know our Bible enough, we do matter, and perhaps this is reason enough to spend some time exploring the sort of events to which Isaiah refers but the problem I had when thinking about this service was how on earth are we supposed to relate to these in any meaningful way? Well, I was pondering this question on a Friday night before I went to bed, and then helpfully the storm came. The weather broke about one in the morning. I was a bit confused when I woke, so it's hard to be sure exactly. But this wasn't just any old storm. This was literally phenomenal. I don't know if any of you noticed this weather, but it was... It was Amazing. It was the most amazing storm in which I've been. It it seemed like the lightning never turned off. It flashed every two or three seconds right across the sky. Um, And as you look out the window, it lit things up in an eerie, supernatural way. The thunder wasn't from a source. It was all around us. Um, And it was almost like a, a dying light bulb was flickering with the violent noise of some strange thing. And... I must confess that as I got up to close the windows around the house, because they were all open because of the heat, um, I became a little fearful, and because I wondered, was our house really in the middle of this storm, because it was very difficult for me to place where things were coming from, and there was so much lightning and so much thunder, and, you know, closing the Velux windows, reaching over my children's toys with a stick, I wondered, am I going to be struck by lightning and killed? You know, this isn't the right thing to be doing in a storm. Um, So all these thoughts were going through my head and suddenly I felt a serious deep chill. I did wonder, having been thinking about end times, I wondered seriously, is this actually the end? Is this the end of all of this? Is this what's happening now? And I confessed to nervously saying, Lord, if this is to be the end, I'm really sorry for all I've done. Please forgive me for all my grave failures to worship you. Now, perhaps this may seem melodramatic, but this helped me in some sense, because could you imagine seeing there these flashes? Could you imagine that instead of being caused by weather, they were being caused by incendiary devices, mortars and shells during a nighttime raid? Could you imagine instead that these huge ripples of thunder... We're breaking gas mains and destroyed pylons because of an earthquake. Can you imagine if you're in a situation where there's such drama going on and actually there is a lethal cause to this? So what would you actually say to yourself if suddenly you found yourself powerlessly trapped in a situation of war or natural disaster? Lord, if my end is about to come, how would you choose to finish that sentence? So although Cambourne, Patworth Bourne and other areas close to us seem rather shielded from such events, we encounter our own personal storms from time to time, permanent storms in some cases, some storms pass, some storms change our life permanently and forever in an unexpected way that's totally beyond our power to change. Perhaps there's a sudden car crash out of nowhere or a death in the family. Perhaps there's the discovery of a critical, life-changing illness or maybe this sudden unexpected loss of a job or a colleague or maybe even bad neighbours moved next door. Maybe there's a corrosive depression that started to grow over you that you suddenly realise, I'm not the same person as I used to be. Maybe you suddenly realise that your life has taken a terrible, terrible wrong turn. It's also easy in such cases to feel helpless and alone and to spend our energies wrestling with the what ifs or if only this had happened or I should have done this or I could have. Our troubles are very real. You can't simply, in all cases, pray your way out of an illness or a problem. But we're not alone in these real problems because we have the Lord at our side. And imagine having something so wonderful there to comfort and to shield you whenever you reach out to him. And as I read the first part of the passage which was read today, I imagine Isaiah, the writer was trapped maybe in the swift current of fate. He was in a political system for many years. Maybe there was some problem in which he felt helpless and powerless. So, how does Isaiah respond? Well, it wasn't by saying, Why me? or stop all this? or or by saying, God, you can't be good. You can't care for me. You can't love for me. How can this be possible? Isaiah doesn't waste energy trying to understand the plans of God, the plans of the almighty creator, with the arrogance of people to assume they can understand everything. No, Isaiah simply opens and says, O Lord, you are my God, and I will exalt you, and I will praise your name. Isaiah shows an absolute trust in God, and he humbly assumes his place as a willing servant of the Mighty One. And what an amazing example that is. So Isaiah essentially says, Lord, you have overseen mighty acts of judgment against peoples, cities and nations, but, then note this, throughout, you have defended the powerless, you've been a shield to the fearful, been a comfort to the bereft. This isn't a magic spell providing some sort of physical peace and safety, like some sort of spiritual bunker you can just go in and then emerge safe from all the actions going on around you. But actually, it's the kind of security that essentially matters most of all. It's the security of your soul. It's the security of your peace of mind. Because these are mighty matters, but regardless of the suffering and trouble we see around us, and face ourselves, there is always hope, even if you don't feel it. We're gonna spend now, a pause for a couple of moments in these reflections, which I'll then continue, just for a couple of minutes to collect our thoughts. And I wonder, there's an image here, but I wonder what troubles in the world upset you most, reach to your core most of all? Which of the evils in the world speak to you as the greatest inequalities, perhaps? What storms are you facing in your lives at the moment? Maybe your lives are going quite well at the minute. Maybe they're tremendously difficult. What storms are there around the corner for you that you're fearful of entering? Do you have any hope? Can you see a way forward? Can anything good ever result from these bad events? So I'll give you a moment or two. We'll listen to some music and see some images that Beth prepared. And then we'll continue to see how hope can actually come in the worst situations. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord, we trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is the word of the Lord. So is good actually overcoming evil? Is God actually present? Looking at isolated tragic events can seem bleak, and individual human sadness is is lamentable. but today we're looking at the bigger picture taking us from the ruin of nations right through to the new Jerusalem and the wiping away of all tears. But why can we have this trust in the Lord? well I'm starting to smile smile now because I can't help it because when I study this bigger picture, I see with the thrill the steady hand of God, guiding his ship, guiding his people, and guiding those who cry out for his presence, those in whom his trust is placed. It's when I study this bigger picture that I see with wonder the miraculous survival of God's people and God's holy city, Jerusalem. This is a a long story with many thrilling twists and turns and close shaves. And as you read, you think, are God's people going to be exterminated this time? Will God's holy city finally be ground into the ground? And I'll talk through basically a little bit of the history to show how amazing it is and to see the hand of God in these situations. So I want to start with God's people. Now, Abraham was, in, in some sense, I think, the first man to fully place his trust in God, a trust which led him to put a knife to his son's throat, ready to perform the most impossible act of sacrifice. Who could have thought, as Abraham prepared to take his child's life, that he would be chosen to be the father of nations? What about Moses, as his mother put him into the river to escape Pharaoh's orders to kill the newborns? Imagine how she felt casting away her child. How could she have imagined that Pharaoh's daughter herself would bring her son back to her? How could she have imagined that Moses would grow to lead God's people out of Egypt? Imagine the shift from lament to an astonished joy. A bit more obscure, but what about the heroic actions of Esther, who narrowly saved the Jewish people from complete genocide? What about the spies sent into Jericho by Joshua? As they faced death and the discovery of their plans of attack, they were saved by Rahab, a prostitute of all people. I'm interested by the way that it is always a female who saves the day in every situation that I've encountered. Um, it's just a nice theme. <laughs> it's probably significant in some way that I don't understand at all, but it is it does seem to be a theme that when they're about to completely be wiped out, some brave woman steps up and, and saves it in some fashion. <laughs> What about David, the young shepherd boy? He was the youngest of seven sons out in the field. How did he manage to kill the mightiest soldier of the attacking Philistine army? And how did he manage to become a great king? I'm sure that you can think of other stories. I could go on and on, but time after time we see God's chosen people suffering mightily before joy comes into their life and they're raised into their true position. Now, I'd like to wear Israel now and God's city, Jerusalem, which is so important. And I've always been amazed, even as a non-Christian, at the survival of Israel and Jerusalem through thousands of years of violent, turbulent history. Why is this? Well, Jerusalem is really very old. It's probably the 10th oldest city in the whole world. And for anything to survive that long is in, in some sense remarkable in itself. But Jerusalem, you may know, is probably the most fought over piece of land anywhere in the world in history battles are still going on, but in the Old Testament times it's been attacked more than 50 times, it's been captured more than 40 times, you know, changing ownership 40 times, it's been besieged over 20 times, it's been destroyed and rebuilt. How any city is still surviving after that is remarkable because in olden times, often when cities were conquered, they were razed to the ground, utterly and completely. So Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, was totally destroyed. It was a city that took three days to walk across. And after destruction, Napoleon was in the field next to it and didn't even realise the city had been there. So thorough was the elimination. So thorough was the destruction of the cities that Isaiah talks about. But Jerusalem survived. As a Christian, it seems clear to me that God has been willing Jerusalem to survive. The Old Testament times... He's made it so. And how did the country itself survive? Because it was such a tiny power, it was dwarfed by mighty empires, mighty storms Babylonians, Assyrians, Romans. These were evil empires which sought to plunder, overcome, and destroy. But somehow, through luck and political wrangling, and almost miraculously unlikely success in battle, Israel managed to avoid annihilation and absorption. And don't forget also that Israel was was plagued by internal conflict. Civil wars, civil conflict, bad, evil kings that constantly threatened to tear apart the country. But somehow Israel survived. Somehow Jerusalem survived and Abraham's lion survived just long enough so that our Saviour could be born into the world. A Saviour to rescue us from our brokenness. And what an amazing thing. What an incredible story of hope in the face of continuing and relentless odds. In some sense, the biggest story of hope in history. Perhaps we can draw hope from this, real hope. Because the ultimate rose going through the ruin of the evil of the Old Testament times was the survival of Jesus' family and the birth of Jesus into our world. But not to our own times. We find ourselves in a deeply troubled world where military powers still fight for land. Despite all of our advances in science and engineering and technology, we are ourselves feeble and powerless against the full power of nature. Nothing we can do if an earthquake struck us here. But let's draw hope from the image of Jerusalem. The fact that a fragment of this city still remains in this bitterly contested part of the world. A fragment of the temple remains in which Jesus Christ himself preached and healed and turned over the tables of the moneylenders as a small reminder that Christ was there preaching his message but the church has gone bigger than Jerusalem now the church is worldwide and let's draw hope from that because how could 12 disciples and a few dozen followers have imagined that the word of the Lord would spread the world over and did the early Christians ever feel doubt and afraid? I'm sure they did. Did they understand the sheer scale of the impact of their bravery and their actions? There's no way they could have conceived how big this would have got. These Christians simply had to trust in the Lord as they went out into the wild world. Trust that he had it all under control. But what about ourselves now? we're all playing a small brief role in the grand sweep of history and creation itself here for a fleeting moment in god's eye where a thousand years is a day the bible tells us again and again to place our trust and hope in the lord and not in the schemes of men women and worldly matters but this isn't trusting and hoping for no reason because the Lord promises that creation will move towards a final judgment and a new, perfect, joyous world in which all tears, pain, and shame will be forever washed away. And in this, we really can trust because God has proved throughout history that He is there with us, that He commands the ultimate power when required. Let us remain sure and certain that God's plan is certain and good, even if we cannot understand the detail. For the victory of good over evil in our own lives, we need to remain faithful and true to the Lord. Let's gladly be his hands and feet to help grow his kingdom in our own small way. Who knows what ripples that small pebble in the pond will make in the future. But we do know that the Lord is with us now to shield us from true harm and to protect us and comfort us in all our trials, should we only choose to reach out our hands and say, save me, comfort me. Help me. The Lord is always there. So let's return to our opening verse, finally. O Lord, you are my God, and I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. I hope that you now have an idea as to why Isaiah by looking back, felt able to utter this prayer of praise. And perhaps you could take this verse with you into the week. Perhaps you could say it aloud when things seem tough. We might not understand why things are happening around us, but we can be sure that God will be with us, caring for us on our journeys. We can be sure that ultimately joy and peace will emerge through the cracks in our hearts, minds and lives, if only we trust. Amen.